Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Personally, I never doubted the Lions and their ability to make up for the fact that the Red Wings lost their two Sweden games. I at no point today thought, oh God, the Lions are ruining everything. I, w- I always believed in their ability to come back and, and get the job done against the Bears. So I just want to put that out on record. Was Does that say more about the Lions or the Bears? It honestly says more about me and my psyche, <laughs> where if I'm relying on the Detroit Lions, which I mean, this year is an amazing thing to make up for Red Wing sadness. I'm <laughs> I got to double my therapy sessions and probably up what I pay the therapist. Nevertheless, I can't hide behind the Lions for too long. We do have to talk about Detroit Sweden trip, which was a weird. bit of a meatball. Nice. Hey, that's good. There you go. That's a good opening of a podcast joke right there. It's accessible. Just warming up. Give clever. me some time. You're the the Joe Valeno of this podcast. You need some time to ramp up, but you do get the job done. Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. You were considering whether that was an insult or not. I was, yes. Was that a <laughs> backhanded compliment? Maybe. From Maybe. me? No. I, I would couldn't never. Be. Couldn't be. All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, trips abroad to Sweden, the world of the NHL, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be covering Detroit's two games in Stockholm, first against Ottawa and then against Toronto, where at points it looked like they were going to walk away with three out of four points, and at points it looked like they were going to walk away with zero out of four, but we'll cover their one overtime loss and one blown lead to go 0-1-1 over those two games. We'll be discussing individual storylines. You know, Reimer and Lyon both had, for different reasons, notable games. Lucas Raymond in front of his home crowd, we're going to be talking about Wallman's injury and more. Uh, quick notes on Red Wings prospects, uh, some moves to Grand Rapids, uh, before we jump into some NHL news. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club and support the show. You get some really great benefits. First, you get access to our Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive Discord, which is an awesome community to hang out in. You'll also get automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we are giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, the vast, vast majority of them going to our Patreon supporters. Again, that's patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. Oh, and you get access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. We let loose, have fun. Uh, They're a good time. Also some news. Well, news about news. You're going to be annoyed by this, but depending on when you're listening— Check us out on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod or on Instagram at Winged Wheel Podcast. There's an announcement that we've been waiting a long time to do uh, or to put out there that is going to launch sometime on Monday afternoon. And I think some folks are going to be very, very excited by this. It's something that we've been working on for literally years and uh, we're really, really excited to bring you. So at Winged Wheel Pod on Twitter, at Winged Wheel Podcast on Instagram. Give us a follow while you're there. Some exciting news coming. Okay, Detroit's trip to Stockholm. First and foremost, it looked like an amazing time experience for the fans. Swedish fans don't need to be exposed to hockey. They're some of the most passionate hockey fans on the globe. I just think it's really cool. It's it's cool to watch as a Red Wings fan who, if you're a Red Wings fan, you have Swedish fandom embedded in you just because of all of the 
you know, all-time great Swedes that have come through Detroit, but that looked like something that the NHL should do a lot more of, and it's a really cool way for the Swedish fans to get access, not just to the NHL, but for a lot of them, their favorite team. The only downside of the Sweden trip is I was hoping to get a detailed Max Boltman food blog. He, you know what? He, he we did. got we got snippets, but I wanted to get in depth. I wanted everything from Sirströming to McDonald's. No, Sirströming is not. <laughs> Lars keeps saying Sirströming is something that we should do, and I, I am an adventurous eater. I think Evan's a very adventurous eater too. Like we're both big foodies, and I will never ever touch that. The amount of money on the board that would have to occur for me to even contemplate doing that would be. It, it would be outrageous if there is a. Very well-off Swedish benefactor who wants to make a bulk one hundred thousand dollar donation to Wings Money on the board. That'll do it. Yep. Yeah, I would do it for a hundred grand to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, <laughs> but not a penny less. So the event looked good, but the results were bad. And you know, there's individual things in there that Detroit can lean on and say, "Yeah, this actually wasn't so terrible," and and we can walk away from this or that feeling good, but. Let's talk about the Ottawa game first. It was a 5-4 overtime loss where over the balance of the game, Detroit was a much better team in my mind. Even when they went down 4 nothing, which is a stupid way to start a sentence considering I just called Detroit the better team, they weren't being outplayed 4 nothing wise There were three points of failure. And for those who have been listening to the show for a long time, you know I don't like to just needle players for no reason or for one-off games, but... It was defensive lapses and poor goaltending. It was the Petrie and Sherratt pairing were atrocious. Like, that was the worst game they've played together, period. And James Reimer wasn't good. And they went down 4 nothing fast. It wasn't the only thing that went wrong. Like, the, the team overall could have done better in certain regard. Yeah, but let's let's call it what it is. That is why Detroit went down 4 nothing. They should not have had to climb out of a 4 nothing hole. But... They did, which was absolutely unreal. Four straight goals in the second period, four unanswered goals in the second period to tie the game 4-4 was phenomenal. And I am, when Detroit went down 4 nothing, they didn't look like they were out of it. But you're like, what are the odds are going to come back down from 4 nothing? And they, they actually managed it. It's not the first time in our recent memory that they've done that. No, nope, And it was... it's far from the first comeback they've had this year. I have a lot of criticisms about the Red Wings this year. Their will when they're down is not one of them. No. No, they they are able to kind of pick it up and keep momentum going that they had earlier in the game, even when things seem deflating. Now, is that because they're always chasing games? Well. So they've become routine to this? Chicken and the egg. Yes. You certainly don't have to be in that position. And that was a game where Detroit lost in overtime on a kind of busted play where Tim Stutzla did something sick and... James Reimer took a lot of heat for literally ducking out of the way of the save. And we'll we'll have a conversation about that in a little bit. But it just didn't need to be 4-4. That's a tough game for me because there are so many things that really went great. I think Lucas Raymond has continued his strong play. He scored in that game to show that he's one of Detroit's best and most consistent players over the last little while. I think it was good to see Alex Dabrinka get on the board. I think Shane Gossespierre was fantastic yet again. He had what? a goal and two assists. JT Confer had himself a good game. It was a really great game overall by Detroit that was mired by, you know, 25 minutes of just terrible play 
in like small individual flashes, both player wise and in, in just moments in the game. And that's going to happen. Like you're going to have a defensive lapse or there's going to be a mismatch or something, but it, you know, four times in just over a period is a tough scene. Yeah. The, this whole trip, but especially the Ottawa game really highlighted to me a trend with the Red Wings kind of getting back to Evan's question here of, you know, are the Red Wings just good coming from behind or is this just kind of how they have to play? And the thing I've noticed, and again, feel free to correct me if if I'm not seeing this, when the game's tied or they're leading, they play conservative, tentative. I don't want to say scared, but for lack of a better word, they play a bit scared. When they're trailing, they have no choice but to hit the gas because they have to catch up. They have to push. They have to press. And they look phenomenal when they're doing that. And they get in this mentality of, okay, we got to attack, attack, attack. And they play insanely well. And then when the game's tied or they're winning, they abandon it almost completely. You know, we'll get to it, but we saw it in the third period of the Leafs game. We saw it not quite in the third period of the Ottawa game, but that attack mentality definitely came way down. And it's frustrating because we, because they're trailing so often. That's one point of frustration, but then we see what they can do and how they can tilt the ice. And it makes you question, why is this just not the game plan? And I understand over the course of an 82 game season, you can't play every period like that. Nobody on the face of the earth has enough energy or willpower or whatever you want to call it to be able to press like that constantly. But the Red Wings this year seem to flip period to period on this. So it's not an attrition thing with them. It is a planned structure mentality, whatever you want to call it. And it's becoming ever more clear that this is what they want to do. And now I'm wondering if it's something they shouldn't be doing at all. They are also running into like too much of their loss and, you know, leaving points on the ice has been Detroit being their own worst enemy. In years past, it was, you know, Luke Lundenning is your second line winger. You're not winning that many hockey games. And we can needle on certain points of, you know, Blashill did this wrong or this player did that wrong or this defenseman is doing terrible. But that was just a bad hockey team, plain and simple. We've seen Detroit then take on teams like Ottawa, where I think they're well-matched against Ottawa, but then they take a stupid penalty and a preventable penalty. Like, they're getting in their own way too often. They took a too-many-men penalty, which is just a dump. There's never a good too-many-men-on-the-ice penalty. At best, it's a controversial call and the ref screwed up. And that's like one out of a hundred. It is a preventable penalty and it's just caused by miscommunication and either coaching error or player error or whatever. Just over five minutes left in the third, Detroit took that penalty. That, I like rubbing my temples, thinning out my own hairline even more when that happened. And I thought, they have to stop taking these dumb penalties late in the game. And then with a minute 30 left, Ben Sherratt cleared the puck over the glass for another delayed game penalty. I, that's the kind of thing where they have to kind of get away from that. It, it, you're right, Brad. No team is ever going to be completely mistake-free in terms of penalties or, or no team's going to be, you know, 100% all of their penalties are justified. But this is not a good enough team to constantly be playing a man down. And that's just one example of it. Yes, they did it again against Toronto too. They are, you know, just to attach to what your point was there, they are getting in their own way way too much so that even when they are well matched against other teams 
they're creating their own stumbling blocks and it's causing frustrating games like a 5-4 loss in overtime. And I think for me, you know, you think about that game, the Red Wings come back, you know, obviously they're not, no one's thrilled with the start to that game. If they come out of that game with a win, think of the momentum they're building into the Toronto game, but instead they lose in overtime. Tim Stutzel obviously scored an unreal goal. But now you're kind of like, well, we kind of just didn't show up and we were trying to chase this game the whole whole way through. And then you get into Toronto and you got that team staring down at you. It's it's tough. Like They can't be going down 4 nothing and expecting to, to pull out two points because not only are you not going to do that very often, it's going to be tough to build momentum and, and build some sort of you know mental psyche when you do end up playing the good teams the next day. It's it's really tough to just take the wind out of your sails. Like, what a deflating thing to have Lucas Raymond score in front of his home Swedish crowd, to have Shane Gossespierre, after being scratched not too long ago, come out and have a great game, to have Alex Dabrinkit score again against Ottawa. Like, those are all things that are meaningful for the fans, but are also meaningful for the players in the locker room. Like, that's the kind of thing that you want to build on. And Yeah, you're building momentum. You're building, you're building, and building, and then you lose. Yeah. And it, you know, we might think it's all for naught, Every player is different how they hold on to those sorts of things, but this whole chase in the game and trying to, you know, build some momentum throughout the season is tough to do. And now the Red Wings leave Sweden and they have as many points as Edmonton do in their last 10 games. We'll get back more to how the team handles systems and things and uh, especially your point there, Brad, but let's talk about overtime. Broken play. Reimer, I think Ken on the call described him as Reimer swimming, which accurate. That's just kind of how Reimer is in the net. And after Reimer had the the four goals against, he did what he needed to do to get the team to overtime. Whatever credit there is due, sure. But then Tim Stutzla bats the puck out of the air. And I I saw it, and then he saw the replay, and Reimer literally ducked his head out of the way while he flailed what I think was his blocker hand up. To try to get it. But he ducked out of the way of the puck. And I understand the criticism of it. I do. But my thought immediately went to, well, goalies don't really, they don't save pucks with their head. It's just not a thing that happens. So I'm wondering if this was an instinctual thing. I asked a couple people who know way more about goaltending professionally than I do. And they said, one person said, it might be that he was just flailing and wanted to get his arm up. And it was just like a one of those reactions. And someone said it might be that he was trying to like knock it down with his head or that it was just things were moving too fast and he just reacted in a way that was really unlucky. There's no real way to know other than asking Reimer. But to me, that was just a broken play and, and Reimer was all over the crease very obviously. And no matter what the intention was, it, it did sting to see Reimer duck his head out of the way of that puck. Yeah, the replay, it was hard to pick up the exact moment Reimer got his eyes on the puck, but from what I could tell, the puck was already in flight on the way towards him. And you have to think in that small a window of time, we're talking fractions of a second, you're not making a conscious decision at that point. That is just reaction and instinct kicking in. And if you see something flying at your head, not goal instinct, human instinct is to get the hell out of the way. You would like a goalie to maybe have overcome that little piece of evolution, but really, <laughs> really, it's probably not going to happen. So 
I how he played that whole play in general, I hate more than him ducking out of it. Agree. So yeah, it, it's kind of hard to fault him on that because I would bet a hundred percent of those of you listening right now and us three included would probably react in the exact same way if I'm right in when I think he picked up the puck. What I will say is that if that was, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but he's 35 years old, your reaction times get slower as you're at that age. And No, I can't confirm. It actually does. Not even to be funny. And a more athletic goalie probably would have been able to get his blocker up quicker or his hand up flailing Again, quicker. I don't think he even picked that puck up till it was already on the way to him. Tim Stutz was a sick, that was a sick goal though. Oh like, yeah. You, you Red Wings fans hate to give Ottawa credit. I know that, but you have to admit that was unreal. Yeah. That's, we would have lost uh, our minds if that was Lucas Raymond. Yeah, we would have for sure. <sighs> you know, people love to needle one sort of play that dictates the total outcome or their ends a game. Like, but there's so many things that happened in that game that could have changed how the game went. Hey, don't give up four goals. Don't be down for nothing. Then they Simple come back. Yeah. Like there's so many individual plays that occurred where it's like, maybe this play didn't even have to happen. If you know, the Red Wings showed up on time or they buried one in overtime or, or buried one in the third period. So, you know, you can needle over what on uh, of for that game winning goal all you want. I'm not going to jump, jump all over James Reimer for it. He wasn't good. The team really wasn't good in that first period. And, you know, that's honestly the Red Wings. People can say the Red Wings played a better game, but, you know, when you're chasing a game the whole time, I don't know if you totally deserve to win it. Yeah, you're right. Like, I, I maintain, I think Detroit controlled play enough to be able to win that game. But, yeah, yeah. they also let in four goals. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to win a lot when you let in four goals in about 25 minutes. It seems like a big theme of this season is the Red Wings have done a good job at controlling play in almost every game they've played. But two of the big concerns going into the season as the season progresses and the sample size get bigger seems to be holding up in the fact that they lack the scoring depth to be able to capitalize on a lot of this control of play. And their goaltenders aren't holding up when they need to. I'll also add the mismatch against the bottom of their defense has been exploited too many times. And I don't just mean Petrie, although he's the biggest culprit. And I don't just mean Sherratt, because I think he's had actually quite a few good games as well. It's a shame that this game with Petrie came right after we we talked about how you know decent Sherratt's been this season, but I digress. Oli Mata is someone that we don't talk about. I think like, you know, John Tavares, I'm thinking of the Toronto goal where he snuck in behind him like, Detroit's defense isn't as sturdy as what I'd hoped, and it, it's kind of death by a thousand cuts. It might not be the best way to describe it. Well, the Red Wing, for me as well, the Red Wing's power play is very oh, yeah. mostly cold now, whereas at the start of the season, the power play was you know covering up a lot of the deficiencies that this team had. Like the Red Wings didn't score a power play goal in Sweden. And they lost two one-goal games. Yeah. That's not insignificant. They are on like one of the coldest power play streaks in the NHL. And it's not like they had two power play opportunities. The Red Wings had seven over two games. So that's a substantial size against a one team that's very similar to them. And then I would argue that they were going up against two teams that have very league average goaltending. So after that game, I thought, well, 
I, I understand that maybe they want to get Lyon in his conditioning stint, but Reimer wasn't good. And uh, you have to get Alex Lyon in at that point, which seemed cruel because, you know, on a back-to-back against Toronto, not playing all year, overseas, like that's the most away-away game you can have. But I don't know, like it hasn't been working with Huso and the the game that Reimer had, you, you could not throw him back in. And it was a pleasure to see immediately after the game, Derek Lalonde said, yeah, Alex Lyon's going to be in against Toronto. We talked about, you know, setting people up for success. And once we saw the Ottawa game and the news that Alex Lyon was starting against Toronto, I thought, oh God, that is probably not how I would want to start my NHL season uh, as a goaltender. We talked about setting Alex Lyon up for success and coming in against Toronto after a tough loss on a back-to-back. Seemed like worst case scenario, but I'd have to say I was pleasantly surprised by Alex Lyon's performance. Yeah, that was one of the only storylines of the game. I shouldn't say the only storylines of the game, but especially early on, that was the standout, I should say, for Detroit was Alex Lyon looked solid. Detroit looked solid. Detroit looked like they were controlling a lot of the play, dictating a lot of the game against a much more talented Toronto Maple Leafs team. Despite the record, they are a very, very you know talented team, and everyone can see that. And I saw myself thinking, one, Alex Lyon is doing remarkably well, just steady goaltending with a few really key saves in there. And two, Detroit is starting this game on time. They are awake. The back-to-back doesn't seem to be hurting them, and they are not doing what they did against Ottawa. So Lyon was in. They took Petrie out. I understand that the game didn't ultimately go Detroit's way, but yeah, those first 40 minutes, they looked good. Was it five shots against for the Leafs in the first, nine in the second? When you have Nylander, Marner, and Matthew shooting on you, that is always going to be a commendable effort. And again, the Red Wings playing a better team, playing with their back against the wall, responded accordingly. And they got the 2-0 lead. And like everything else this season, that's when it went off the wall because they went back into their defensive shell. You cannot let a team as talented as Toronto have just free wheel around the ice. And no. William Nylander is maybe the ultimate freewheeling guy in the league right now because he put a couple guys on a poster last night and he made, I think that Tyler Bertuzzi goal might have been the easiest goal I've ever seen in my life for an NHL player. Nylander's getting paid. I know I keep saying that, but Nylander's getting paid, man. I think I, I texted that to Steve Dangle. I'm like, you got the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to have to pay him a billion dollars to keep him. My biggest takeaway from that third period is maybe the Red Wings should pay him a billion dollars. I'm getting close, man. I'm there. I'm there. Let, let's start with the second period. Scoreless first, and then Daniel Sprong scored a really nice penalty shot goal. First of all, a thousand blessings onto the house of any referee in the NHL for whatever reason who calls a penalty shot. That's the kind of excitement we need in hockey games. And I believe they're up this season. So kudos to the referees. Don't say that a lot for doing that. And Daniel Sprong scored a really impressive uh, shootout goal that impressed Nick Cronwall and Henrik Zetterberg in the crowd. And I know that they were impressed because you could see them there. We'll link to it, but their reactions to that were hysterical and I wish the game was went better because that would have been like the the picture gif or image for the game. And then Lucas Raymond, again, two consecutive games in Sweden, seventh goal of the year, continues his streak as one of Detroit's hottest players, scored to go up 2-0. And going to the third, Detroit had a 2-0 lead, and he thought, it's not going to be an easy third. 2-0 isn't, you know, 4-0, which apparently doesn't mean anything for the Sweden games. But the way Detroit was playing, you you believed in them. 
And then Brad, like you said, they just kind of, I don't, I don't know that I would describe it as playing scared, but it looked like they were waiting for the counterattack. Like they were waiting for Toronto to come to them, which <sighs> Toronto's coming. They like, yeah, if you let Toronto, if you sit back and let Toronto enter the zone and, and play with possession, they will come and they will score goals. Yeah. So let me explain what I mean when I say play scared, because I know we reference it a lot, especially with the uh, Red Wings of years past. But in an instance like this, what in in theory, it's a good idea. What the Red Wings are looking to do is play mistake free hockey, which means no risks. If you are coming through the neutral zone with the puck and you don't immediately see a play, dump it. You don't want to turn over in the neutral zone and give William Nylander like a two, and Austin Matthews a two-on-one or something like that. You go into a five-man zone defense or a five-man man-to-man, whatever your, your flavor is, and you stick to that and you don't over-pursue pucks. Basically, you're playing to not make mistakes. We're not going to give them an odd man rush in any situation. We're not going to give them odd man you know, number in the defensive zone. But what happens when you do that is in hockey, the only way you generate offense nine out of 10 times is by taking a risk or someone making a mistake, hence mistake-free hockey. But the Leafs, when they have the puck for 95% of the period, are not going to make many mistakes. This isn't the Columbus Blue Jackets. The more they have the puck, even if you are playing a really good, flawless five-man defensive system, I'm sorry if the Leafs have the puck for 19 and a half minutes. Matthews, Nylander, Marner, Tavares, they're going to find something. Yeah. They are going to break you down. So you need to keep pushing because the best way to keep a team like the Leafs from scoring is to keep the puck out of your zone. And the only way to do that, pressure on offense. And they played scared. Like how many chances did the Red Wings get in the third period? I, I know the number is probably a few, but off the top of my head, I can't remember any. They... The Leafs put on a puck possession clinic in the third period. And the Red Wings, to be plain, do not have the talent, especially on defense, to be able to play mistake-free hockey for 20 minutes. They can't. They physically can't do it. They have a good enough defensive system where, like we've seen most of the year, they can control play and where it's dictated for most of the game. But... When it's split 50-50 between the Ozone and their own end, it's generally not going to end well for them because the Red Wings need more Ozone time because they have lack of scoring talent compared to other teams, and they need less D-Zone time because they don't have the defensive horses to be able to withstand the William Nylanders and the Austin Matthews of the world for a prolonged period of time. And that's what they did. Just defensive shell, no risk, let Toronto have it. We collapsed the middle, no turnovers, and it didn't matter to your last point there, they they don't have the defensive horses. Like they don't have the the personnel on defense to just repel Nylander, Tavares, Marner, Matthews for an entire game. And and that's it ties back to my earlier point of Detroit's defensive depth isn't just poor. It has holes in such a way that they are it's you're gonna poke through them. It literally has a hole. Oh my god. Oh my god. Come on, man. <laughs> I was thinking it. I was thinking it. My brain has switched. Like the, the, the pronunciation is hall. I know. But it's spelled whole, and so my brain just wouldn't let me get there. Oh. <laughs> That's good. Credit to you. You both have some really good ones today. But they have, you know, defensive holes that get exposed game after game. And it's unfortunate, but you know, you think about Tavares sneaking in behind Olimata, and that wasn't the only thing that went wrong in that play. 
But what did I say before we hit record? I don't think Detroit necessarily had the worst game of all time. I think Toronto was just a more talented team and they talented their way to that win. That doesn't negate anything that Brad just said. I actually fully agree with you, Brad. That was a really great description of of what I think Detroit did wrong in that game and, and how I think they need to approach these games considering the fact that you know Andrew Cobb had a really terrible uh, moment of exposure at that blue line by Nylander. And that's just one example across multiple across the entire team. But yeah, the Toronto's just a better team and Detroit let them deploy that fact and utilize those better players rather than playing, like you said, Brad, prevent defense. I also don't really, I'm not a huge parking the bus guy. Like I like the mental, I like the psychology you build with your team when you just continue to go at the best teams. Yeah. When you admit that you're up to nothing against one of the best teams in the league and you play prevent defense, you're kind of admitting that like we shouldn't be in this position. Yeah. We're, you know, just going to try and sustain getting one to two points this game. For me, I'm always a fan of continuing to push on the other team because that's what got the Red Wings in the lead in the first place. And, you know, saying that we can go toe to toe with those best teams in the league builds confidence with the guys in the in the locker room. And there's a way to continue to attack while not being irresponsible defensively. And that's where I think I get really angry because when you're attack and, you know, if you're a Mo Sider or a Shane Goss at the point and you see a chance to pinch, for 90% of the game, they're going to go. They're going to activate. And if you're really nervous about not giving up a two-on-one to one of the most gifted offensive teams, you can go keep your same offensive system going, but just defense, hey, no pinch. If you see the lane, we don't care. Put it on net. Put it behind the net. Mm-hmm. Just don't. But you can keep attacking. And, you know, getting back to our interview with uh, Derek Lone, where he said all teams play basically the same system, which for most forwards is in the ozone, you always have an F1 high. Always. You never have more than two forwards below the hash marks unless you are really pressing, getting back to the point of the Red Wings trailing. But you just tell them, I don't care what happens. That third guy, you do not go past the hash marks. I don't care what you see unless you are walking in for a clear shot. Your feet do not pass that. You can still attack and still control ozone time by just changing two, not even changing. You're not changing anything. You're just saying, this is where we're going to scale back. But the Red Wings don't even do that much. They just, there's no ozone possession time. It's, we don't want to turn it over at the blue line. Chip, chase, regroup, chip, chase. The Leafs have the puck now. Great. Let's hope we get it back in the next six minutes. Some teams that'll hold, like some teams that'll work. You're playing the Columbuses of the NHL, like the the lower end teams. Yeah, they're not necessarily going to have the talent to break through, but against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we didn't even note yet, Jake Wallman took a really unfortunate uh, stumble. I don't know if it was he bad ice. It. Yeah, he toe-picked like. and his, he, his face hit the side of the net and he was hurt. Like he was on the ice hurting. He had to be helped off. I don't really know what the outlook is on that, but he didn't play the rest of the game and that he had like 12 minutes of ice time before that. So you think 10 more minutes of Mo Sider on the ice where he didn't have Jake Wallman, like that's a third period where you don't have Jake Wallman. That's going to affect the defense as well. Unfortunate for Detroit, but yeah, they, they just didn't, they, they let it come to them. It's like they were expecting that, that comeback. And, 
you know, they they weren't playing the Columbuses of the NHL. They were playing a team with John Tavares not on the first line. You're going to get exposed that way. And you know what? Like, if that's just a loss that happened after Detroit took two points against Ottawa, on a feels, back-to-back, yeah. Wouldn't feel bad. You'd kind of say, yeah, I, I'm actually impressed that they controlled 40 minutes of play on a back-to-back and they took away two points from Ottawa, who's more of a direct competitor than Toronto probably by the season's over. But instead, they walk away with one of four points. Two Atlantic Division foes get two points each. And it doesn't get any easier because now you're coming back. Your schedule is going to be a little bit more condensed. Yeah. You, you're three. Like, that's eight. You know, we talk about one game in, against someone in your division is a four-game or four-point swing. That's, you know, an eight-point swing. So now the Red Wings are really behind. I mean, they're still ahead of Ottawa, but, you know, the season's not going to get any easier at this point. No, they have a game on Wednesday. That's the our next episode is going to be a Thursday episode. They have a game on Wednesday, and that's New Jersey. Yeah, that's not easy. <laughs> and their game against Friday uh, on Friday is against the Boston Bruins in Boston. It's also not game. easy. Hey, Bruins still only have one regulation loss, but <laughs> that was the Red Wings, so yes, never say never. <laughs> I I'm not trying to be doom and gloom about this. Like I think it's a really disappointing Sweden trip. I think there are a lot of really great storylines that could have come out, like that comeback. Alex Lyon, I think, deserves a regular start in this goaltending trio at this point. Fully agree. And if Edmonton's looking for goaltending solutions and you know they don't want to pay any kind of price, let them trade for James Reimer. Or if, yeah. they, if they want to pay infinity assets to try to offload Jack Campbell to Detroit, that one I'm, I'm pretty squeamish on, but yeah, sure, try. But yeah, I agree. Alex Lyon, get him in there. I think it would have been really cool to have you know an Alex Lyon win to say, yeah, that's something we can come back and be proud of. It would have been really cool to say Lucas Raymond is having the start to the season that we wanted him to have. Think of our conversation last episode, and he went and scored twice in front of his home crowd, and we, we got some points out of that. Alex Dabrinka keeps scoring against Ottawa, and he's hot again. One out of four points, you'll lose those two games. I'm not saying it affects the mentality of the team where the, the rest of the season is going to suck. No, I think... Last season is a really good example of how much, you know, any given, you know, five to 10 game segment can just be isolated and forgotten. But what could have been a really great galvanizing, like you build a foundation and you rally around this moment for the Red Wings just turned into a a disappointing trip, which sucks to see. Anyhow, that's the Detroit Red Wings in their two games in Sweden. Again, the overtime loss against Ottawa and the regulation loss against Toronto. They don't play again until Wednesday, the 22nd, 7 p.m. Eastern at the LCA in Detroit against New Jersey, at which point we'll be back with you with an episode on Thursday evening. Their next game after that is Friday and then Sunday. So that's Detroit's schedule. Alex Line, you mentioned it there, Evan. You you work him in regularly now? Absolutely. I was pleasantly surprised by how poised he was in net, especially given the talent that was coming down the other way. And he made some huge saves to keep the Red Wings in that game. He made a huge, huge glove save on Austin Matthews uh, late. I think it was in the third period. And he also made a great blocker save off Austin Matthews, maybe in the second period that I thought for sure was going in. Yeah, I... Don't see how you don't put Alex Lyon in more frequent. Well, I mean, more frequent, more than one game. Yeah. Uh, how he doesn't become an option on a regular basis. 
especially when Vili Husso's not doing it for you, especially when James Reimer is either, for some reason, nothing's going in or he's literally blowing the game in overtime more than once, depending on what you think about the ducked puck. You got to do it. Your power play is not bailing you out. You have to find a solution in net. Especially laterally. Lion really had some cat-like reflexes. I had to. I'm sorry. Good. Nice. I had to. Yeah, that's good. I Like, it bothered me that for all of last year, he played for the Panthers, and I don't think we ever made that joke once. Huh. Well, it was just that stretch at the end. It was such a flash in the pan that it right? kind of came and went. But, but even then, it was such a big story, and we missed it. Yeah. I I put that on Evan. That's Evan's job. That's right. You're the pun I'm master. I'm the Florida man. <laughs> you are the Florida man on this show. Yeah, I think they have to they have to work line and I don't I wouldn't project that anything's going to happen in terms of making a move. I think it would be cool if Detroit could get an asset for one of their three goalies. It's certainly thought-provoking at this point. Yeah. This is you know, not that it's a bad thing obviously overall for the NHL it's a good thing. This is the healthiest run of goalies I've ever seen over 32 teams. Yeah. You yeah. just wait I've literally been waiting for, you know, first team to go, all right, their starter's down. They're going to need, like, some insurance here. And then there's the multiple teams with three goalies going, all right, now we got you. And it hasn't happened. Unless you're Edmonton. Their goalies are healthy. Just-ish. Ish. ish. (laughs) Speaking of goalies, Ned, down on a conditioning stint in the AHL, got himself another AHL goalie goal. Hell yeah. Good for him. Hell yeah. Great selly, too. Yeah. So the Red Wings, Wallman went down, and my first thought was no. And if he's out down for any extended period of time, I think that that could spell trouble for Detroit, even more so than they already have defensively. And my second thought was, now is it time for Edvinson? It has to be. I know they carry seven, but you've not seen what you need to see from having Petrie in. And all those guys that you cycle out, like what, Petrie, Hall, Mata, like, you're not getting enough consistency to justify, in my mind, running those confidently. They might do it. I, I think the Red Wings have a tendency to do those things. I know Derek Lalone doesn't necessarily think that Edvinson or, or Berggren or others are ready yet. But in my mind, with how bad Petrie has been. You can't convince me that Simon Edmondson makes this decor worse at this point. And if he does, at least I see function to it because he'll ideally learn. I don't think anyone is going to be mad if Simon Edvinson gets called up and doesn't play well and gets sent back to Grand Rapids because I think people are just tired of seeing the same old thing being done out there and nothing really changing. And we're right back to the saying we had all the time in the middle of the rebuild. That's why I was trying not to say it. I'm trying to say it without saying it. Oh, we'll we'll just say it for those who are new and don't get the reference. I can't wait for the day NHL teams play young players who might be bad instead of old players who are bad. We know for a fact that Simon Evanson is not bad. He just needs some conditioning and some seasoning. But I'd way rather him do that in Detroit and me be like, he's learning, he's learning. This is what he needs to get better and this will eventually be part of or be alleviated from his game than whatever we got right now. And I know some people have been saying, well, there's expectations this year. You have to trot out your best six, no matter the circumstance. Okay, so where's Simon Edmondson? (laughs) (laughs) Which, if we even agree that Edmondson isn't one of the top six, which I don't agree with, but even if we do, expectations are only going up more and more every every year. year at this point, right? So 
the sooner you integrate these guys, the better. Now, you could say the same thing about Ford, but we can go into a whole nother conversation about that uh, massive pile of disappointment. But the sooner they get Edmondson in, the A, I me. would argue for the benefit of this season, the better. And for the benefit of the totality of this rebuild, the better. There's, Even if Wallman's not hurt. There's something to be said about the bar is higher for guys trying to break in than guys who have been there, done that, and are established. I, I do understand that. I sometimes agree with it, sometimes don't. And if this was a situation where, you know, Jeff Petrie and Olimata and, you know, the entire bottom of that defensive group were playing pretty solid hockey, not flashy, but a you know, mistake here and there, but otherwise pretty reliable hockey, I would say I would prefer to see Simon Edvinson up, but hey, this team is winning more games than we expected because you're getting some steadiness. But it's not even just that they've been bad. They are losing games because of it. They lost a point and they conceded two points to Ottawa because directly because of mistakes, defensive errors, bad ones from the bottom of their defense. Okay, so here's the exercise we're going to do. Red Wings have seven defensemen and three goalies. If no one's hurt, but you need to get Seidman Edvinson in the lineup, what the hell do you do? You call up your old buddy, Kenny Holland. <laughs> <laughs> it might, it, I've, again, you want Wallman back as soon as possible, but if this is a Wallman out for any period of time, in my mind, this is a good time to do it. I'm, I'm not even banking on it happening, but I think this is the window where you have to do it. So you didn't answer my question, but we can move on. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree with Brad. Brad, you make a move. You call up Ken Holland. You can't waive everyone. Some teams or some players have no move clauses and that complicates things. And players have modified no trade clauses and that complicates things. And teams don't want these players a lot of times and that complicates things. But look, it's not gone as the Red Wings or Steve Eisman has hoped with uh, the defensive acquisitions they've made. I think you can get away with one of Petrie or Hall. I would prefer Hall at this point. You're going to have to make a move because if you run with this decor the entire season, I don't. I just think the bottom of the defense will always be this issue. And it's you not, can't play more at Sider and Wallman 30 minutes a game no. if you think your bottom pairing can't do it. And I'm I'm sorry to say, but Moritz Sider and Jake Wallman aren't playing lights out defense on defense right now to even justify 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. If they were, again, this would be a different story. You could shelter them a bit more, but... It's it's not the end of the world. We're talking about this a lot, and it seems like, oh, this is a, a massive problem, and the Red Wings are doomed to fail if they don't fix this. No, they have a good hockey team. They're still winning games despite this. But if you're talking about how do you get incrementally better and not give up key points against Atlantic Division foes, then yeah, you're going to have to find a way to not just cycle from bad player to less bad player to, uh, depending on his night, he might be okay-ish defense player. It's, it's just not a, a recipe for sustainable success and people also are just excited for prospects yeah they want to see what the next wave of talent has and i i think people are genuinely excited for simon edvinson to be in the lineup i think what i always boil down to with this argument you have to at some point see what you have with simon edvinson i over an extended period of time yeah i understand it's hard to break into the nhl and i actually really like what eiserman and Lalone and Blashill before did in terms of you have to earn your spot. I, I do agree with that because I think they've, for the most part, you know, applied that pretty fairly across the board. But for me, despite the deficiencies, despite the concerns with turnover or decision-making from time to time, at some point you have to see what you have with Simon Edvinson. If he turns out to be, 
you know, not a solid everyday top four guy and, and, and that pick failed. That's an eventuality that might come to fruition. Like that might be the case, but you have to see what you have. Mm-hmm. And if this happens in 20 games, as opposed to right now, that's fine. It's going to happen eventually. But the eventually is getting a little bit bolder for me. Like it's becoming a little bit more of an exclamation point slowly, but surely. Anyways, more on Red Wings roster news. The uh, waiver move that was made and then cleared Austin Zarnick was sent down to Grand Rapids and has been assigned to the Griffins. So that is the Red Wings. That's what they have coming up. I'm sure by the time you're listening, more will have uh, come out. Some positive stuff from Sweden. Axel Sandin Pelik, every time he looks, seems to have more highlights. Uh, Lassie Allen made a post. He has, on he has better hands than most of the forwards on the Red Wings. 100%. He is an offensive dynamo. If we're talking just purely stick handling, I'm not that far away from saying he's got better stick handling than all of the Red Wings forwards. It's, it's, get, it's getting there for sure. On a few days ago, he had his first three-point game of his SHL career, and Lassie Allen put out uh, some really good highlights. As uh, Of course, Ice Hockey Gifts is always a really great follow on Twitter as well to follow along ASP, so he's called. So, yeah, Sandy and Pelica, you're looking for Red Wings of the future. He's not everyone's having the best season in terms of Red Wings prospects, but Sandy and Pelica seems to be one where he's pretty reliably someone you can look back and say, ah, yeah, okay, so there is some help coming. All right, let's get into some NHL news. Uh, rumor that has come out, and I think there's a lot of work to be done for this to to come to fruition, and there's no real timeline, but the NHL is exploring some more outdoor games, some, some more special event sites, and OSU Stadium is rumored to be a potential landing spot for an outdoor game between Columbus and Detroit. And like that is a... I'm loath to give any credit to Ohio, in general, but that would be a really cool spot. And especially like it will lean on the Michigan, Ohio state rivalry aspect of things as well. I think that'd be a really cool outdoor game. So it would have to be a Michigan versus Ohio state theme, but here's the catch to this all the red wings, red, Ohio state, red, Michigan, blue, Columbus, blue. So what do you do there? Cause if you do a color swap, it's kind of weird, but at the yeah. same time, if you don't, it's still kind of weird. But in concept, I love this idea. Yeah. This I, is a phenomenal idea for an outdoor game. Especially if they lean on the college program rivalry. I think that's a lot of fun. Well, yeah. they'd have to. Why else would you do this game? Because Columbus and Detroit don't have a rivalry. There is it's zero the rivalry. It's a Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whose who's scars run deeper from Mike Babcock? And then Toronto just comes in. Yeah. Toronto weeping in the corner. <laughs> we don't want to play. We'll just watch. Yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. Uh, something else that was rumored, and this, I think Evan brought this into the universe. Mexico City. I'm a social media influencer. You are. That. Yeah, you are a social media influencer. Toronto. Austin Matthews, obviously uh, of Mexican heritage, said that he would love to play there, and then Dallas has expressed interest in playing. So I think that would be a really cool spot. I saw that, and I went, "Yeah, Evan's the Lobsterdamus prophecies continue." All right, we got to start speaking into existence. Detroit versus. Pick West Coast team in Honolulu. We have to. We have to make this happen somehow. Please. Did you guys see the, I think, leaked and then announced Winter Classic jerseys between Seattle and Vegas? Phenomenal. Loved Seattle's. I think Seattle just doesn't mess with jerseys. They have to do a, a rainbow trout jersey at some point. That'd be sweet. Vegas... The Louis uh, the Ve- the Las Vegas Louis Vuittons. 
That's it, all I got from that. I picture. like it. It suits them. It literally suits like again, most people outside of Vegas look at like the gold jerseys and all the shine and go, Oh, that's so catchy and gimmicky and it's awful. If you've been, ever been to Las Vegas, it all makes sense. It's very on brand. And I love when teams really lean into what their market is. So this kind of stuff for Vegas, I love it. I remember not liking their gold jerseys when they moved away from their gray primaries. Yeah, because you're the old hockey man. I got it. And I still don't like the way they look on TV, but in person and like up close. When, when you looked- get... I'm always the guy where I'm like, I hold my reservations on jerseys until you see the full kit. Yeah. And when it all comes together, that's when it really shines. So this one, I'm like, I don't love it. Someone actually pointed out it looked like the little like uh, Vegas flower things or whatever those styles at the top. It looks like someone flipping the bird, like the double bird. Hell yeah. Which, yeah, makes it Bonus points. But yeah, I, I can see how it fits into the Vegas motif. But Seattle's, man, they just... Great logo, great jerseys from start to finish so far. They just, they, this is they what really the third miss. kit they've ever released as a franchise and they're batting a thousand. Yeah. Good for them. More on the draft in Vegas, actually. They, the NHL is leaning on trying to make this fear happen, but there's some pretty obvious hurdles. One, it costs money and the NHL hates spending that or having it, it seems. So they'll have to make that space work. And then also in terms of making the space work, they'll need enough room for all of the draft team tables and a stage not only that they'll need I to find they were getting away from that well that the, the idea is that this would be a last hurrah yeah i think oh, they said if it's okay, not at the sphere or maybe not in vegas then they would go remote but yeah. if it is in vegas or classic believe it or not the gms really want to have it in vegas so uh <laughs> if it happens in vegas they'll still go we don't want to do these in person anymore oh shame we were thinking about vegas oh well, 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 let's well, not let's, get crazy maybe we'll start that next year you yeah. know what the nhl really needs is the entire outer part of the sphere just hung over bill garen passed out on minnesota's draft table <laughs> they should actually do the like the old oliokinen ego waffle <laughs> but all around the sphere that might be too old of a meme to reference for some people. I don't even know how they would incorporate the sphere into the NHL draft, like how they would use the the screens or what the all the imagery that the sphere creates. But man, would it be cool? 16K hyper-focus on some poor 17-year-old pimply face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be really, really cool. Yeah. The, the production for that, that's big bucks. Like that's part of it is, yeah, to rent the spaces a lot and, you know, Dolan is an NHL owner, and so knowing him, he's going to charge the NHL a premium, not a discount. Yeah, it'd be more. But to hire the production team to find a way to do what Evan just said is going to be There's pricey. no point renting it out if you're going to half-ass it and it's just going to be kind of lame. You may you got to just spend the dough. If you truly want to do this, you got to spend the dough, do it right. This is our last hurrah as an in-person, non-remote draft. And then that's it. Let's be honest here too. As cool as this is in concept, this is the NHL. Yes, I know. You know that the entire outer part of the sphere for the whole weekend will just be like the NHL logo and a puck circling it. Yes. Yes. That's all they would use it for. And then the team logos circle it when that team is making the pick. That's it. That's all that's going to happen. They are not going to do anything cool with this. You know it. I know it. Everybody listening knows it. I saw a picture of Lane Lambert, I think it was taking what was a tough press conference because the Islanders have been trash and 
people are calling for his job, which that one drives me a bit bonkers. Because yeah, look Lou, at the roster he has. It's this is the this is Edmonton just east, and he's sitting at like a like a plastic folding card table with no tablecloth. So you're just looking at his legs and his socks and dress shoes up close. I'm like, can someone get this guy a tablecloth, please? And if this is this if a New York or New York adjacent NHL team is doing that, I don't can't remember if they were on the road or at home. I'm just like, oh, please don't try to do this in-house for if you do the Vegas draft. Speaking of the NHL doing things in-house, like uh, another example of this, the app. I was literally going to blurt out the app. Yeah. And you were on the same wavelength here. As we always are, you and I. Yeah. Evan, you and I famously have never disagreed. That's correct. The app, and I got some intel on this, the reason they did a new one and it sucked is because they used to pay a vendor and the contract was running out. And for those of you who work in tech or a company that tried to do tech, tell me if you've heard this one before. They didn't want to pay the vendor fee anymore and they decided to do it all themselves in-house. They had like six months to create this, which for an app of that size and scale and reliable functionality is not enough really, especially not enough if you don't have a dedicated developer team. I mm. believe like they they had a lack of actual Android and iOS engineers to do this. So <laughs> it was just never going to happen. So when you're like, why does this not work? Did they have like non-developers make this? The answer is literally yes. The uh, non-tech equivalent is when you pay $18 for pad tie and you're like, I'm just going to make it at home. So you spend $45 to make pad tie at home and it's not as good. And it's way worse. Yeah. And Brad made it for you. No offense. Yeah. I just don't think you can make pad tie. Never attempted it. Uh, I'm one of those guys. I'm actually not bad in the kitchen, but I'm in there so infrequently. I understand not trusting me. Yeah. Also sounds like the NHL app developers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great comparison. So the solution here obviously is, well, if they're going to do this in Vegas, then they won't try to do it in house and they'll hire out. But they just, you know, the NHL just doesn't seem to be that kind of company. I'm sure it's going to go great. I hope it does. They just did the, actually, they just did the the first uh, Formula One Grand Prix on, and the new layout. They've done them there in the past. I heard that was a disaster. There were some really stupid things that happened that were avoidable and caused some disaster. But I will say the race itself did produce some entertaining racing. I heard there were $500 tickets where you got to just watch it on a TV at a bar and offsite. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. They vastly overestimated the amount of interest to attend in person in the cold after midnight local time. And the prices started to drop precipitously. Same I'm as sorry, after midnight? Yeah, they. it was like a, it was like a night race to... For the Vegas lights. If you're going to race down the Vegas strip, you want it with the lights and everything. I, I agree. But after midnight, yeah. like 9 p.m. probably worked. Yeah. Like last night, <laughs> last night at 1 a.m. I was watching the, start, the race started. That is. Eastern time. Yeah. That is absurd. Anyhow, Vegas is absurd. I well, can barely true. stay up to watch the Red Wings when they start at 10. Yeah. That one's a struggle. We're not young anymore. Uh, one other minor note here, the NHL is continuing to work on the best on best tournament idea with Olympics being one thing and then, you know, their own NHL supported World Cup being another. The story remains the same. So long as there's the war in Ukraine with Russia uh, invading, they're going to, they're just not going to be able to include them as a country. And so they're saying if this does happen in February 2025, right now projected, it would be without Russian players. Good. So... 
that's where we're at on that. I think with the NHL changes so much, this is such a volatile space. I wouldn't think of how much the world changes in a month, let yeah. alone by 2025. Yeah. Hear, hear me out. 20, January 2025, a Russian player draft. Every country gets a pick. <laughs> Ovechkin is now getting his Canadian citizenship. Kaprizov's going to the States. Shesterkin's going to Finland. Oh, you just found a way to offend everyone. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. All right, let's jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Again, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Again, the benefits, the Discord, the bonus episodes, the ticket giveaways to Red Wings home games, and you allow us to continue to grow the show and do cool things like Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, partnered with the Detroit Red Wings. You allow us to produce more content like Expected by Whom, a show hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro, uh, and lots, lots more. So again, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, question here from Stephen Olenyuk says, uh, assuming there will not be any Kirk Cousins style celebrations on the plane ride home, unfortunate as the, as that is, what are the immediate gaps that Eisman should be looking to fill in the team and where can we afford to lose talent? That's a good question. Where can you Detroit th- afford to give away assets? Give away? Uh, their bottom six forwards. A lot of depth there, but uh, here's the counterpoint to that. Not a lot of value in bottom six forwards. If you need to clear up some space, sure. That's it. The that- people who have value, you aren't moving. Unless the price is, the if it's a Philip Peronic type price, you're not doing it. I think where you can afford to lose talent is where everybody thinks it, you can. Their talent on defense consists of three players, and right now the Red Wings are not moving Sider, Wallman, or Goss Goal Goaltending, they have a surplus. They could trade one of them. There's no value there, so they're not getting a substantial return. Not moving anybody off the top line. Nobody's going to want anybody off the second line with their contracts. Maybe Perron. Perron might be the answer, actually. Perron, Goss, Bear were my two that I was they, thinking could actually derive value. Goss, Bear could, but I don't think the Red Wings can afford to lose him if they want to go to the playoffs. He's the only yeah. defenseman, plainly, of value below Sider and Wallman. And player, players, they're not stupid. They know... <laughs> You know, you can't have mixed messages. You can't say we're we're building this better team to push for the playoffs, and then you trade off a David Perron or an, or a Shane Gossespierre. You know, it's going to be the guys that teams already have in spades in their in their organization. Tyler Bigelow, who's a brand new patron, welcome Tyler to the Dub Dub Club, and thank you for your support. Says, hey fellows, longtime listener, brand new Patreon supporters. My question is, Newsy said his Sweden trip with Tampa was a turning point in their cup winning season. Given the slow start in the Ottawa game and blowing the lead to Toronto, ultimately leading to two disappointing losses, do you see this trip as a turning point for the Wings this season, good or bad? Although two divisional L's are tough to swallow, I feel aside from the first period with Ottawa and third period against Toronto, the boys played some very good hockey. It feels like it could be. How they respond is going to determine whether or not it is. I will say Tampa was a different team. When you have a really, really good team and you have the personnel that you need, you can then focus on the margins, which is, you know, learning how to win consistently and rallying around the talent that you have. And that's when you think about adding an enforcer or, you know, whatever the modern equivalent is to your fourth line. Those are the luxuries that you can then, those are what I call moves in the margins. Detroit's not a good enough team to let a two-game stretch define their season. Like, they are still figuring out 
who they are and how to play like a good team, if that makes sense. So is it disappointing? Yeah. Does it have a material impact in the standings? Yes. And is it going to affect the vibe for a little while? Absolutely. But uh, I would be, I would hesitate to extrapolate too much one way or another. Give Walman the heart says, what do you guys think the single biggest issue with our power play at the moment is? And why is it a lack of Axel Sandin Pelica? That would help a lot. Oh, he would, he would, he would make a big difference in the power play. Lack of creativity on the power play is the real answer here. Yeah. They, they know what their system is and it's become predictable. Teams just watch one, one video of their power play and they, they just play high pressure penalty kill and that's sort of the end of it. So yeah, they need some, uh, they need some creativity out there. It's been the story of even when Detroit's power play has converted to being good sometimes, like over the last few years, we've seen really good versions of the Red Wings power play, but it just doesn't hang around. And it doesn't need to stick at 36% for, you know, 10-game stretches. That's not reasonable to expect, but it shouldn't be so hot than so cold. Like, the the whiplash is too much, and I, that's part of the bigger how do you become adaptable as a team. It's also a personnel thing. Like, you add more talent, players are naturally going to be able to get around that. Yeah, Talent, creativity tend to follow each other, but if you're wondering what we're talking about, remember at the beginning of the season, Larkin was absolutely feasting in the bumper position on the power play because most teams play some variation of a box or a diamond, which leaves the bumper vulnerable. The Red Wings capitalize on that. So now teams are running generally a reverse T against them, which puts someone closer to the bumper so Larkin's no longer effective there, and they've changed nothing. They are still running the same system, and unfortunately, for whatever reason, Gossespierre and Debrinket have not been serious shot threats from the flanks, which is how you capitalize on teams that overpursue the bumper. And but they can be, which is the frustrating part. Exactly, but they don't. You know how in football they call it scheming receivers open. Mm-hmm. The Red Wings don't do that, but other NHL teams do that. And I think, I think that's a personnel thing. I, it I think it could can. very well be. Yeah. Frank the Tank says, "Hey guys, do you think that Newsy is scared to or nervous to scratch Sherratt? Besides our top pair, he's the only one who has yet to sit in the press box. And given the standard with Ghost sitting after a poor game, it doesn't make much sense to me. Do you believe his contract letter on his chest or veteran status protect him from being held accountable? Yes. <sighs> I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that one." Last season, I would say yes. I would say, you know, the amount that he was signed for and maybe like the the veteran leadership in the room, which is a real thing and how much the guys looked up to him. Yeah, like that was all part of it. But this year he's not been, I understand the Ottawa game just happened, but he's not been the biggest problem. And you can't sit all of them every night. I don't know. I I go back to with the Gosses Bear thing. I didn't agree with that scratch. But I go back to if it's going to send a message to say, hey, we expect more from you. I know other players get away with more, but we know you can be better. And this is just a little bit of a wake-up call. That's the best I can explain it. But with Sherratt this season, I'm not sure that narrative that we had last season about him holds so much. He's not been perfect. Like There have been a few games, and the Ottawa game is a good example of where it's just, <laughs> it's been bad. But Petrie's been worse. And I think you know overall... Detroit doesn't have the the luxury of sitting too many of their guys. I don't know if that makes sense. All right, moving on here. 
The Jack Scientist says, I became a regular listener last year around the draft, Casper's year, so if you don't mind telling me, who is this cross Hannes guy? He looked decent in preseason and seems to be molding well in Grand Rapids. Second round pick from, I think, the year prior was deemed at the time a bit of a reach when the Red Wings picked him late in the second round, just for context of where the consensus was on him. He was one of those super skilled guys in junior. Like, we're talking multiple Michigan goals. So, not that he's Trevor Zegers, but think of that style of player. And there were a lot of concerns whether or not his skill and speed and physicality were going to be enough to the pro level. Took him a while to get to the pro level. Adapted well into the AHL. Hasn't been bad in the AHL, but also I would say the numbers and the performance there aren't exactly kicking the doors down for the NHL, so I still give him a fringy chance of being an NHL regular, but he's going to have to improve on just simply talent to get up there. Yeah, what I'll say is I've been impressed by how much he's been able to impress despite it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. He's been more impressive than I would have given him credit for. Like you said, Brad, he's not kicking down the door, but there's, there's a shot there. Yeah, nobody in Grand Rapids is kicking down the door. No. So that's not exactly a slight on him per se. CNOD says, should the CHL be concerned with the rise of NCAA hockey becoming a more flexible option for development? I know it doesn't apply to too many people each year, but I think Danielson being able to be in the AHL would be better for him. And if he was an NCAA guy, he could have. In general, I think we're watching the development path of old dry up a little bit in terms of how flexible it is, how much players are willing to work with it. Yes, the NCAA is a big part of that. There's always going to be a pressure for the NHL-CHL agreement to be changed because I think it's just too restrictive. Four guys, like if you remember Michael Rasmussen's path up, four guys like Nate Danielson. I was disappointed to see the last time the NHL continued that agreement, but yeah, I, I think the CHL does need to adapt in that regard. Yeah, and we've already started to see it. More and more Canadian players are going the NCAA route, so... It's already started, just not to any extreme degree. As hockey gets better elsewhere, and the NCAA being good isn't new. The, the NCAA has been a fantastic place to, to play hockey in a development way for a long time. But as hockey plays better elsewhere and as the CHL loses its leg up in terms of being the quote-unquote best development path, they're going to have to adapt. It's just the nature of things. And it, I think they're going to move in that direction no matter what. And because the thing with the NCAA in the past was because you get players in that league who are 23, 24, 25 years old in some instances, it's a much better league on talent, which meant the 18-year-olds that were trying to break in were not getting a ton of ice time or a ton of whatever. Whereas in the CHL, you could start at 16. So by the time you were 18, not only were you on the team, you were probably playing a very prominent role in that team, which was very appealing uh, to a lot of prospects, understandably so. But the way minor hockey is and junior hockey is now is kids are so good, so young. Look at the number of 18-year-olds that are just stepping into the NCAA and dominating. Macklem Celebrini is dominating the NCAA as a 17-year-old this yeah. year. And, you know, I can speak firsthand watching even go all the way down to my 7-year-old daughter's league. What they're doing now at that age, if any one of those kids, take the worst kid on my daughter's team right now and put him on my team at the same age, people would think he was Gretzky. It, Minor hockey development is so different nowadays. It makes the NCAA more viable because players are being able to step in right away, whereas 10 years ago, they couldn't. 
Those kids are tall enough too, where you might be able to lace them up next to them and get away with it. Oh no, they would clown me. <laughs> like, look at the NHL. The NHL keeps getting younger and younger and younger. So it's not a surprise that a league like the NCAA is moving the same way too. And 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 kids, when they're thinking, you know, CHL versus versus college hockey, they're more apples to apples than they've ever been. It's good for the NHL. The leagues are. It's good. No, it's great for the kids. Yeah, I'm. I think there should be more than one path to playing, you know, not everyone's going to play professional hockey, but they've got more options to become a better hockey player and also to enrich themselves as a person. All right. We are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. We're going to be back with you Thursday. Thank you all so very much for tuning in and thank you for uh, your continued support of the show again. Uh, Tune in Monday afternoon. We hope to be able to make that announcement that we've been waiting for. For now, thank you to all of our listeners, new and old, and to all of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, if you want to support in another way, hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a rating. It makes a difference. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, tell a friend about the show as well. We'd like to thank all of our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Ground Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Cider the Ass Kicker, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutin and Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek and Stim, DJ Denton, D-Town Westside, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Fergus Member of the Black Eyed Peas, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Screen Lube, That's What I Appreciate it's About You, This Is a Guy, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Andrew Broderick, Axel's Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheeseback Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Preda, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Ferk Houston, NHL to Portland Baby, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Playing Hockey for Swedish Meatballs, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you very much. We'll be back with you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.